Have you ever been behind the scenes of a play? You see actors rushing into place and stagehands preparing the next scene and sound and light technicians ensuring that all's in place. There's this flurry of activity that we don't even think about when we're watching the play. Well, as we read the closing comments of Colossians, we're actually brought behind the scenes where we're reminded real people are working together with this single-mindedness towards a set goal. And that goal is the Colossians' encouragement and maturity. And now thousands of years later, here we are, and your encouragement and your maturity is the goal. With that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 4. We're going behind the scenes, starting in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You know if you've been with us for any length of time that this letter written to the church of Colossae, the Colossians, it was written out of deep concern. There was deep concern for the Colossians that they not buy into false teaching and that they do focus on the centrality and supremacy of Jesus. Behind that deep concern is sincere love. And so this morning, I want us to see this text broken into two sections. First, we have concern for all, and second, we'll see concern for one. This first section will be the longest, but we have concern for all. Paul's writing, it's so personal, isn't it? He starts to list out all these people that are behind the scenes working with him. But we're all guilty of skimming through or dismissing sections like this when we're reading Scripture, I think. I mean, we've already read the important stuff. I mean, these are just like the closing comments. (laughs) But these closing comments, they reveal something critical for us to remember whenever we read a book or a letter in particular of the Bible because it's about people. 
what these closing comments are telling us is that this is about people, real people like you and me. Yeah, they dressed different. They didn't have an iPhone or Starbucks. <laughs> but they had dreams and they had desires. They had families. They fell in love. They learned a trade. They dealt with the pressures of society. They heard about Jesus at one point in time and had to wrestle with what that meant for their lives and how they walked that out. Real people. Now, we learned the Colossians were falling prey to false teachers. They were drifting away from the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus. They were tempted, truly, to give in to fear and to pull away from all the fullness, the completeness that they had in Jesus. They were tempted to buy into the worship of angels and all these other things, a mixture of thoughts and, and ideas. They were, they were downplaying the role Jesus was to have in their life, the completeness that they had in Him. They were forgetting the identity that they had in Christ and what that meant for them right then and there and forever. But they were also learning what it really means to belong to Jesus, to be in Christ, to put on Christ, to walk out this new identity in Jesus. And now, in the closing comments, we see that Paul, he's not done encouraging them. He's written some really important theological truth. He's challenged them. He's called them out on some things. But he's not done encouraging them. He encourages them by sending men to them, Tychicus and Onesimus. He says they were sent for your encouragement. Now, Tychicus was the man responsible to deliver and probably read this letter, even expound on it in some ways, and I'm sure answer questions that the Colossians had about Paul's well-being and, and other things. So he would also have updated the Colossians on, on Paul's circumstances and what, what, his, what his goals were and his plans, but this isn't the first time that actually we hear of Tychicus delivering a letter. He also delivered the letter of Philemon, which we're going to read next Sunday. It's a small letter written to a man at, in, the, in the church of Colossae. He was a Colossian. And so Tychicus delivered Philemon at the same time that he delivered the letter to the Colossians. Tychicus also delivered Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, which was located in Ephesus, about 120 miles away from the city of Colossae. He also visited Titus on the island of Crete. He also accompanied Paul on a number of missionary journeys. Tychicus is a well-trusted and well-traveled individual. He's, it says in verse 7 that he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord or in the Master. Now, the reason why Tychicus was actually sent, it says that you may know about our circumstances and, and that he may encourage your hearts. Well, who's with Tychicus? I've said that name a lot. Who is with? Can you say it? <laughs> Who is with Tychicus? Onesimus. Of all people, Onesimus is with Tychicus. Now, why do I say that? Everyone would have known who Onesimus was. And we're going to learn about this guy more next Sunday as well. Onesimus was a runaway slave who belonged to Philemon. And so this letter to Philemon that Tychicus had is addressing that issue, which again we'll get to next Sunday. So everyone would have known, Onesimus, you're back? Oh man, you're going to be in trouble. You ran away. And it was a serious thing. Word would have gotten out that Onesimus had, had run away. But he says, Paul says, they, not just Tychicus, but they, they will tell you what's going on with me. 
and they will bring encouragement. This is for your encouragement. So already we've got this man who is well-traveled. He's, he's a, a faithful uh, minister and friend of Paul. He is present with the Colossians for their good, for their encouragement. And he's brought another brother named Onesimus who they knew back in the day who had done some things that weren't right and had run away. But now he's back and he's now with Tychicus encouraging them in their faith. They're present with the Colossians. There's something about presence. There's something about being with a group of people that that beats anything else. It reminds me of times I've been sent to church communities all over the place, over the years, whether it's South America or Spain or Bolivia or, or, or Cuba or Africa. These are various places that I've been to be able to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ and the Lord. And, and I often wondered before going to these places, man, wouldn't it be better if I just sent them the money that I, I'm collecting uh, to, to get there? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if I just sent this money to them and they could use it however they wish? Now, money's helpful. I mean, on the ground, it's, it's helpful to be able to provide for some of their actual needs and, and the building of the mission that God has them on. But nothing beats presence. Nothing beats being there, looking them in the eyes, sharing a meal, laughing with them, growing in relationship. Nothing beats presence. Nothing beats that embrace or just, like I said, eating with a brother and a sister in Christ, encouraging them on in their faith. It's important for us to hear that. This might seem like just a, okay, yeah, Tychicus is there delivering a letter. That's not, it's not just about the delivering of the letter, like here, all right, I'm out. It's here, I'm present with you. You know, that's why we're eager next year, Lord willing, to send a group of us to North India. We support uh, a ministry called Forefront Mission, and they're in North India, and they're in Nepal, and they're planting churches in rural areas and villages, unreached areas of the world, and I've uh, had a friend for over 20 years now who's been on mission there. His name is Dinesh. He'll be with us in June, actually, updating us on the mission there, and we would love to send a group of us there next year, so let's be praying about that, but this isn't only an international thing. This is a local thing as well. How encouraged have you been when someone is just present with you? They're not just telling you what you should do from afar. They're joining you. They're sitting across the table from you. How many times have you been in a dark place or struggling in your faith or wherever and you just needed someone to be with you, to be present? I I can tell you there there have been seasons in my life where people were present. They didn't even say anything to me. They just sat with me. Whether it's the waiting room of the hospital, not knowing the outcome of what was going to happen behind those doors, and they were just present with me. It meant something. Have you considered how encouraging it is that you're present with others? Maybe here. How, how, how encouraging is it that you're present here in a Sunday gathering or in a house group? Where have you been sent by the Holy Spirit to reach out to a friend? Do you think of your life that way? Being present with others as an expression of God's love and care? To faithfully deliver maybe a message that you believe the Lord has put on your heart for a friend. Think about it. You're going to be spending this week with some family, some friends. You might be thinking about turkey and uh, pumpkin pie, but what about the Holy Spirit using you to bring a message of encouragement to a family member? 
to pray with someone after you hear about you know that long story they're telling you they just go on and on and on and you're like i just want to watch football right now but if you take a moment and actually listen to what they're saying they're broken and they need help and you just can we pray presence Tychicus and Onesimus were present with the Colossians. They were an extension of Paul's love and concern for them. They were on the ground right there with them. So we're behind the scenes. In this final section of the letter, we're getting an idea of the team that actually stood with Paul. Now you might imagine Paul just all alone doing his thing, and it's not the case. He almost always has someone with him for discipleship purposes, for missionary purposes, for strategy for comfort and camaraderie. So he talks about Aristarchus, who he says is in prison with him. We don't know how all that went down, but they were proclaiming Christ, and now he's in prison, most likely in Rome. He talks about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who went by the name Justice. So three men that Paul considered fellow workers for the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? These are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. These are his buds, they're his friends, but they're fellow laborers. They're working beside him for the kingdom of God, for the proclamation of the rule of God through his son Jesus. It's a good and loving rule. And when we come under that rule, when we submit our lives to Jesus, what happens? That shame and that sin, the bonds and the, the, the chains of sin and shame are just are lifted. We enter a new and living relationship with God. We're talking about living now in a new kingdom. I want to show you that. We read it before in Colossians chapter 1. Look at what it talks about in Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Who has done this? The Father. The Father has rescued us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He's transferred us. This imagery of Him picking us up and bringing us into a new place. It's in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is what the Father has done in Christ through the finished work of Jesus' life, lived for us in His death on the cross and His resurrection. This is... The kingdom now that we're in. Jesus, when he was on the ground ministering, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He proclaimed the kingdom, the rule of God. Wherever there's a kingdom, there's a king. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. And this is what Paul was working for. This is what those other guys in his life were working for. This is what they were all about. He says these are the only Jews with him at this time. But they brought serious comfort. They brought serious encouragement to Paul. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how Paul needed to be encouraged? Have you thought about the conflicting emotions that Paul dealt with, that he had to cope with himself? Has he dealt with, I mean, abandonment and uh, opposition and just persecution? laboring with all his energy, all his strength to make plain the truth of the mystery of Christ. Do you think of how draining that was for him and how he needed friends? Paul couldn't do it alone, and you can't either. So again, this is a very personal section of Scripture, and we're learning about his concern for all and how he meets that concern through people on the ground with the Colossians, but we're also learning something about Paul's need to be comforted. 
Regardless of how long you've been in the faith, regardless of how strong others think you are, regardless of your knowledge of God's word, regardless of all that, you need others in your life to bring you comfort. You do. You need friends. Friends who love Jesus and who can stand with you, lift up your arms when you feel like, I'm so tired. Paul had these guys, Aristarchus and Mark, Justice. Who do you have? So these three men are eager to greet the Colossians. When you you hear greet, think embrace. It's more than a shout out. It's I'm with you. This letter is not a cold document to be read and then just kind of filed away like your property tax statement. It's written in love and out of concern. It's backed by this group of people eager to see the Colossians one day themselves or to at least let them know that we're with you. We're with you. We're standing with you. Whether we can be with you one day or not physically, we've sent these two men, but we, we greet you. We're with you. Now pretend there's a hyperlink on each name listed. All right? We're going to click on Aristarchus. He's from the region of Thessalonica. He joined Paul for work in Ephesus. It's maybe, uh, I think we think he, uh, many think he was, uh, came to know Jesus in Thessalonica and then joined Paul on his missionary journeys. Let's click on Mark. Mark. This is John Mark. His mom hosted the church in their home back in Jerusalem. Do you remember when Peter was locked away in prison? And then Peter goes to uh, John Mark's mother's house and he's knocking on the door and, or the gate and they don't let him in. They're like, oh, that's not Peter. That's who this is. He's the cousin of Barnabas. He's the one who initially joined Paul and Barnabas for a bit on missionary journeys. But then when he bowed out for a season, that didn't go well for Paul. And Paul was upset and it created a rift between Paul and Barnabas when Barnabas wanted John Mark back. And so then Barnabas went a separate way. They still loved each other as brothers, but Paul and Silas went another way and they were able to reach more churches. But by now, Mark is with Paul and he's laboring with him again. Mark is thought to, well, he was a disciple of Peter and where we get the gospel of Mark. Wow, there's a lot behind Mark. Cousin of Barnabas. And then Jesus called Justice. No idea. I don't know anything about this guy. I do know he probably didn't go by the name Jesus. He's like, nah, I'll do justice. <laughs> okay, then we see Epaphras. We're learning about these, these, this particular group of people that were with Paul, laboring with Paul, standing with Paul while he was in prison. These are people that are behind the scenes for the encouragement of the Colossians. Remember what we're talking about, the concern of all. And some were on the ground or going to be on the ground with the Colossians there, obviously what they were, if they have the letter in their hand. And then Paul mentioned this man named Epaphras, who is always praying for them, for their maturity. Now, Epaphras is mentioned early in the letter where we're, turn, we're told that, uh, that they learned the way of Jesus from Epaphras. So apparently Epaphras learned of Christ and then brought the gospel to the Colossians. An evangelist, a pastor, this is a man who loved the Colossians. He was, he was from there. And Paul writes this, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. That's what he says of Epaphras. Now, I wonder, did Epaphras oversee churches in Colossae and Laodicea, which was 10 miles away, and maybe Heropolis, which was 15 miles away? Because Paul mentions those cities. Maybe Epaphras had the responsibility of traveling to those cities and providing encouragement and exhortation. We don't really know, but that's, that's what I, 
I think, might have been going on. But he's marked out as a man of prayer here. And he prays specifically for the Colossians. These are people he knows personally. And so as he's praying, um, he's not just praying these generic prayers for people he doesn't know. As he's praying, his mind and his heart is just being filled with faces, real people that he knew back in in his town. He knows what they've been wrestling with. And so now he himself wrestles in prayer for them. And in verse 12, Paul says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. And so the Greek verb for wrestling, it means to struggle and literally to com- compete for a prize. Figuratively, it's, it's to contend with an adversary. It's about fighting. This is about fervent striving for something. Wrestling. A lot of wrestling in my home. A lot of wrestling in my home. And it's not half-hearted either. There's this story uh, of a man jogging February 4th in Colorado. And he was uh, jogging in, uh, on the trails, the mountains of Colorado. And he heard some kind of this moving, something moving in the leaves and the brush. And he thought it was just this small little animal. But he, he just, for, just got a sense that he had to stop and look. And as he did, he saw a mountain lion come out. And he tried everything he could to scare off the lion. I mean, you're supposed to look bigger, try to look bigger and scare it. and rah, you know. Didn't work. That lion's like, mm-mm. The lion came towards him, attacked him. He lifted his arm up. The lion grabbed his arm, and they started to roll down this, this bank, this, this hill. And this, this jogger, he thought he was, he was done. He thought he was going to be eaten by a mountain lion, naturally. But he, he started to wrestle with the lion, and he, he, he found a rock and hit the lion on the head, and then, and then he positioned, the story goes that he saw the interview with the guy, he positioned his leg just right to choke the lion out. As He did some serious wrestling moves on this lion. So <laughs> there was no half-heartedness about this. This is like, all right, it's either me or him kind of thing. That's the idea. Epaphras is wrestling. No half-heartedness here. Takes a lot of energy. Anyone ever pray this way for someone you love? This kind of energy and wrestling? I'm talking about someone that you believe might be buying into lies. Someone that you believe might be drifting from Jesus. Buying into false teaching, consumed with cynicism or bitterness. You're wrestling in prayer for them. Why? Your heart aches for them. You love them. Epaphras had their spiritual well-being in mind as he wrestled in prayer for them. Here's a man who devoted great amount of energy to the proclamation in defense of the gospel, but also he devoted a great amount of energy to prayer. And it's this kind of prayer that springs from deep concern and love. It's this kind of prayer that I pray that we would walk in. This has been a model prayer for me as a Christian and and as a pastor. How does he pray for them? He prays this way, that they would stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. That was Epaphras' heart for the Colossians. He wanted the Colossians to stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. He wanted them to walk with maturity and full assurance in the faith. What a sweet prayer. I'll just take that. 
I'll adopt that prayer as my own for you, and I have. I'll adopt that prayer as my own for my own family. I'll adopt that prayer as my own for my own life. God, help us to stand firm in your will. Help us to believe that your will is good and that you love us, that you're for us, to not resist your will, but to stand firm, to not be moved by other things, but to stand firm in your will. And God, help us to be mature, to grow in our faith, to not be satisfied with just this stagnant existence and to be fully assured. You see how we can just take these prayers and make them our own. It's a good prayer. Well, Epaphras is modeling the heart that Paul had for the Colossians. Look at chapter 1 in verse 28. Paul writes to the Colossians, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Wow. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, he is laboring in prayer in all of his efforts that they might know Christ. Epaphras is praying that they would stand in the midst of outside pressures and storms on the inside. Whether it's outside or inside storms or turmoil or doubts, he's praying that they would stand. He's praying that they would stand specifically in the will of God to know it and to walk in it, to believe God has your best interests at heart and that he loves you when his will is laid out and you see it and you're like, ah, really? Is that what you're calling me to? And we're we're saying, okay, God, I'm wrestling with this, but I, I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know that you have set guidelines for my good. He's praying that they be mature or complete. You know, no one wants their child to be physically or emotionally immature. It's not like that's your goal, like to have a a 23-year-old son, and you're like, look at how immature he is. Isn't that great? (laughs) How he doesn't even greet you. (laughs) How he sticks his hand in that bag of chips like you're not even here. Whatever, I could keep going. It's fun. But the point is this. It's really not fun if you had an immature 23-year-old son. You want a mature 23-year-old son. And so you're, you're looking for maturity and you're praying for that. Fully assured. When you have assurance, what happens? Oh man, you put your shoulder down and you press through the difficulty. You stand firm against all odds. You have security and rest in Jesus. You have joy and confidence that doesn't ignore the circumstance you're facing, but it isn't changed by it either. Assurance. All right, hyperlink Luke. Talking about Luke. He's the man who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke. He wrote 25% of the New Testament. And it says here that he's a doctor. That's neat. Demas. Three years later, we learn of this man. Tragic turn of events in 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas, it says, in love with his present, this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Ministry is filled with heartache. People that you labor with for years and that buy into lies. 
He deserted Paul. He deserted the faith. He fell in love with the present world. Don't think for a moment that you're exempt from that or that that could never happen to you. Concern for all. That's what we've learned. He's interested in their encouragement and maturity. And now I want to focus as we start to wind down at concern for one. Look with me again in Colossians 4, verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Imagine Archippus as the letters being read out loud to the church. He's singled out. I mean, you ever, you ever just be maybe in class for students? You're in class, and then the teacher calls your name, and you get that feeling in your stomach. Okay, what, 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 what was I supposed to be? What, huh? I'm listening. Seriously, I am. I wonder if that's how Archippus felt when he, he heard this letter read. But it must have encouraged his heart for Paul to take time to not only write this, just one line about his life, but to actually think about him and show concern this way. So the same concern for all is now being expressed for one. Paul is interested in his encouragement and his maturity. Paul encourages Archippus to do what he already knows he needed to do, but was struggling to walk out. It's part of what it looks like to walk in maturity in Christ. Now, we don't know what Archippus' work was. Was he called to teach? Was he called to preach or plant churches? Or what? what was he called to do? We don't know. We don't need to know. Maybe he struggled to believe that he was the man for it. Maybe he thought it was too late, that too much time had passed, that he had dragged his feet too long. But Paul says one sentence to Archippus specifically, and like a mother bird pushing her chick out the nest, I imagine that was all Archippus needed to rise up and say, all right, let's go. Yeah, I need to fulfill what what the Lord has given me to do. And as I was preparing this, and as I saw, I mean, this, this passage just about, just, just was so bold. It's like highlighted for me. And I wonder how many are here today that are struggling with what you believe the Lord has put on your heart to do, but you've been dragging your feet. You're struggling with fear or maybe self-doubt. It could be the conviction to move away from patterns of behavior that you know don't please the Lord. It could be convictions to move towards pattern of, patterns of behavior that you know will please the Lord. It could be that you're always thinking that you lack the proper knowledge of the Bible to be used to make disciples. It could be that you want to lead in ways that you never have before, but you're stuck in neutral and you don't know how to get into first gear. See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord is what Paul told Archippus. What if you hear this as if it's written to you? Put your name there. See to it that you, Justin, see to it that you, Justin, complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. See to it that you, Dave, yeah, yep, that you complete the ministry that you've received in the Lord. There's a long road ahead. A lot of life to live. See to it you complete that ministry. Jesse, Trevor, Autumn, Jake, John, Nancy. See to it that you complete the work of the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Paul's heart for one 
is a reflection of God's heart for all. Real people on the ground. That's who we are. Colossians are gone. They had their time. Local church St. Pete is here and now. The goal is the same. Our encouragement and our maturity. Now, that's my heart for you. (laughs) It's my heart for me that we would walk encouraged in our faith and mature. Imagine how beautiful that is expressed in our own lives, individually and then together. Paul signs off this letter with his own handwriting, indicating the authenticity of the letter, and he writes this, remember my chains, grace be with you. A powerful ending. Colossians. I told you weeks ago that Colossians is one of my go-to books. I go there when I don't know where else to go. I go there when I need to remember what faith in Jesus is all about. I need it to remind me. I need it to encourage me. I need it to instruct and correct me. And that was its purpose for the original hearers. We're all tempted to believe or try, try to earn or try to pursue things beyond Jesus. So what happens? What happens? Listen, when we begin to believe Jesus isn't enough, the temptation is to look to other things to satisfy. So Colossians reminds us Jesus' supremacy and his sufficiency is the best protection against this error. It's the greatest remedy for our seemingly endless search for meaning and hope. Jesus, supreme. Jesus, sufficient. Jesus, central. Don't move away from it. Don't move away from him. Colossians has put Jesus front and center right where he needs to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Colossians. I am so grateful for this book. I'm grateful for the instruction we've received. I'm grateful for your grace revealed in it. I'm I'm, I'm grateful for how personal the closing of this letter is and all the people that are being mentioned by name. This is about people. And now here we are, 2,000 years later, receiving your word. Lord, I pray that these friends of mine here in this space, in this community, would be encouraged and would grow, that they themselves would long to mature in Christ, that we would all together want to encourage one another and do what we can to stand with each other, that maturity would be our desire, and that each of us would receive from you, Lord, this, this challenge to complete the work of the ministry that we've received from your hand. Thank you for this book. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen.